0: The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Thomas and Herho. Hi, Thomas.
1: Hey, Dom, I like how that intro rhymed at that time. That was really nice.
0: Yeah, well, I, I realized I didn't intend it, but when I wrote it, I didn't. I, I ended up writing a rhyme. My wife's a poet, so maybe that's why I did it and didn't know it. Catch that rhyme right. there. However, <laughs> she doesn't like
2: to rhyme. <laughs> yes,
0: she's one of those poets that, that I don't read. Uh, and joining me also on the panel t- again is pat scott hi pat hi glad to see you all yeah and uh, pat as we introduced last week uh, is joining us uh, on on the Secrets of tech hopefully we can get her on as a regular participant in the panel um we're, we're still looking for s- one other person that we can add we could have three rotating panels that would be nice um and just to remind folks pat uh is um your business is helping people with technology specializing in older folks. Is that accurate? That's correct. Okay. Most of my clients are above 70. Yes.
2: But uh and I've got 70 all the way to age 100. Wow. So uh but I do have <laughs> other nice. people as well, but th- yes. that's the majority of my my clients.
0: And Pat is my mother-in-law. So she is the mother of my the aforementioned poet in my house though. so, <laughs> so she got uh, all
2: the talent, not me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, different kinds of talent. So let's let's jump into today's topics. Uh, our first segment tonight is about this uh, story that I saw in my local hometown paper, the Boston Globe, about Fortnite addiction. Now, most everybody probably listens to a technology podcast, probably knows what Fortnite is. But just in case you you are coming at this new, it's the big game of the moment. It is the big game that everybody's all the kids are playing especially and what makes it uh, different a little bit is it's available on every platform it's on the phones and the ipads and the computers and so lots of people can play it everywhere and kids are going crazy for it and the way it, it works the basic game mechanic is it's group play so that you're not just playing against the computer you're playing against and with other individuals human beings uh you're dropped into an arena where you have to gather resources, weapons and other things uh to survive and kill off the other players and the arena shrinks over time until there's one player left who is the champion of that game and then everything resets. Um so uh the the game is free except there's in-game purchases. You can buy things everything from resources, uh, shovels or things to build with all, all to things like dance moves and costumes for your avatar. Uh, so, uh, and and you'd think that wouldn't make a lot of money. Uh, that's a billion, they made, they did a billion dollars last year, I think it was, something, some crazy, it uh, might not have been a billion dollars, but it was in the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars uh, last year. So big, big business, big game. So the story is that there are kids who are suffering from, uh, mostly boys, who are suffering from addiction related to this game? They're not sleeping. They're they're avoiding school. They're dropping out of social activities. Uh, they are, and then they, they of course they give some of the extreme cases. A kid who was so uh, in the grip of the addiction that he he used a, a bat or something to break into his family's car, break through the windows to get his phone out of the car so he could keep playing. So. um this is, so they talk about, you know, what, is, you know, the addiction, kids who are suffering, etc. cetera. Um, so before I to get too much further, any initial thoughts on, on the story of Fortnite addiction and game addiction from either of you to, to sort of introduce the topic, anything you want to jump in on?
1: I've had, I have a brother-in-law who um, suffered a game addiction and um, same kind of thing. He was playing World of Warcraft. Uh, back when he was in high school, and he almost didn't graduate uh, his senior year because he would uh, go to school and then leave school to come home and play while his mom was at work and then go back to school at the <sighs> end of the day to be picked up uh, wow. so you know it was it was a very serious issue and uh, when it finally did come to light, he had to do a lot of uh, remediation, go back and talk to a lot of people and uh get back in their good graces and he ended up being one of those people that like burned all contact with it and will not touch it again because he knows how seriously addicted he can get to it.
0: Wow. That's, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, it, now now to, to say that he is also he has now since become an army ranger and he's you know very serious uh he, he's made a complete turnaround in his life if you want to call it that. But uh wow. yeah so it's not something that the kid can't come out of. So right, there's, right. there's a positive spin to put on on the back end of it.
2: Sure. Well, I don't have any personal uh, knowledge of it with clients, my age group, probably. But uh, this just reminds me so much of what I heard in Japan, that there were a lot of people, this was a year or so ago, you know, that wouldn't come out of their rooms. They stayed playing the games and Mm -hmm. uh, had stuff delivered and died without people even knowing they were there. So it sounds like it's another more immediate form in the U.S. than what they were seeing over there.
0: Yeah, like so I I can also speak to it from a, a a bit of personal um viewpoint um I I've never experienced like addiction to that to this level but it's been I've had times where I've had games that uh, I had a hard time disengaging from when I was mm-hmm. in college I remember playing uh marathon I don't know if you the old game it's sort of yes the, the precursor to the yes. halo it's and precursor all this halo oh I my loved, gosh i mean i would go to sleep and see the the textures from the game on you know in my on my eyes dreams. yeah in my dreams like on the inside of my eyeballs i mean i would i was obsessively it. you know i don't know that i was addicted but i was obsessive no, um, so it, fair, that was a great game so was, you know <laughs> yes it was a great you're
1: game
0: <laughs> yeah. but like even today there are certain games like that i've had to take off my ipad for instance uh Star Wars Force Arena. I had a lot of fun, but it gets to the point where, uh, you know, I, I, it's hard to progress. You know, you, it's the early levels, early stages are great. You go and you go and you go and, and then it starts getting harder and harder to progress unless you succumb and you, just spend two dollars. Just spend two dollars right, to get right. those resources, and then, oh, you hey, I've already spent two dollars to get here. I might as well, you know, I'm in for a penny, in for a pound. I'll, I'll spend another ten and. And soon you're spending money that you don't have. I mean, I've heard of people even like mildly obsessed with these games, spending hundreds of dollars on mm-hmm. them. Uh, and the, the fact is, is games where the, the, the freemium model of, of these games is, does, is, it's based on the fact is they can make more money. On selling you stuff in the game than they can by just slapping a fifty dollar. If they if these games are fifty dollars each, they still they would make less money than they're making now. But if they yeah. put a fifty dollar price tag in it, no one would buy it.
1: Right, right, but- and that's and I think that's the uh, it's a. I like the freemium model, and uh, as a person who is really into games development, there there is a whole series of conversations about this on uh, YouTube with um, extra credits where they talk about. Uh, how the freemium model it it works how it how you can break it really easily Uh, and the thing that fortnite got right is they balanced everything out very well so that the freemium model does exactly what it's supposed to which is no one gets an advantage no one is um ahead of the game you might get a temporary advantage you might be able to buy a short uh, you know burst of advantage in the next round of play but you can't uh just win the game by outright paying money You can't buy the win, (laughs) right? Right. Right. Yeah, it's it's not a pay to win, and and that's one of the things that they've done exceptionally well. And then they've uh, they've made it so that the things that they are marketing are these viral things that the dance moves, for example, are just, oh, everybody yeah. knows the dance moves, all the kids. I can't stop the kids that I teach from doing these dance moves. Same and, here in guys. And, Cubs and Cubs, my, yeah. my kids at home my, who've never played Fortnite except like maybe once or twice at a friend's house, they know all the dance moves. Right. And, uh, you know, so I can just see them. If they got the game, it'd be like, oh, well, I want the dance moves, Dad. Could you give some, just buy this one or just buy that one? And um, I have one kid that he's very smart with his money and he would make sure that he saved up to buy the things that he wanted from the game. And he just would. Um, whereas he probably wouldn't buy the game if he had to buy it outright himself and and the fact is is that these games it's not by
0: accident that these that is designed so well the freemium model in this game i mean the freemium model is nice in that in one sense that you you can get to play a game try it out without having to spend money you can try lots of different games without having to shell out a lot of money the the other side of it is, is they've these companies hire psychologists. They have people on staff. They have people who, the same sorts of people who create each summer's viral pop hit. And, I, and I'm, I'm sorry to tell you folks, but that's what happens. That song you're going to be singing in three months, uh, you can't stop singing in your car. That's, that was manufactured so that it would happen to you to be viral. I mean, right now, industrial psychology is a huge thing and they've created, they know. They know how the the addiction centers in your brain work, the 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 reward centers in your brain work, and that's one of the things that they point out in this article uh, that I'll link in the in the show notes. Uh, points out is that the the really bad stuff doesn't happen to everybody, obviously, but for kids especially who already have personality issues or or mental health issues or behavioral issues, this this just goes even further. Uh, they they mention that. For for the for kids at a certain age, they have our brain has something called a variable reward system, where we respond to rewards that are not the same, but the more we do something, the more reward we get, that sort of thing. So their their variable reward system is hyperdeveloped at at that at this age of say adolescence, but their self control system is not, which it's kind of obvious <laughs> to anybody who knows adolescence self-control is not really there yet. And so they, they can't, they can't balance it. And so they, so it gets worse. Um, and, and that's, that's the thing that really, it
1: hurts is that this is hurting kids, especially. And right. If you, if you want a really good look at it, um, there's a great Ted talk by, uh, Tom Chatfield. Uh, I think that, I think that's his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, uh, He goes through talking about uh, World of Warcraft, which is, you know, I already mentioned my brother-in-law had been addicted to that one. Um, And and the way he talks about it, he talks about exactly what the psychology was. So they sat and watched all of these people playing and they figured out that uh, the variable reward system basically works on this concept that uh, there's a frustration level that people will get to where once they can't open a box with a reliable percentage chance of getting something, they'll just stop playing. And in order to avoid that, they'll have you go out to get 10 items and you open the first eight boxes and it's got a really difficult chance of opening it. But then once you get to that eighth item, those last two items seem to come in really fast. Right. And, and it tricks your brain into feeling like, well, if I can just get over the hump, you know, if I can just get over the hump, then will it'll be easy, smooth sailing from there by rewarding you with that, with that particular behavior. And then suddenly, um, uh, you keep playing. And so you got the 10 items. Now you go out for another quest. It's exactly the same quest. Go get 10 of these things. And if you think about what you're doing, you're doing exactly the same thing. And you know exactly what the result's going to be, except that it feels very, very, it feels variable and it feels like this natural, intriguing thing that you want to do. Uh, but he does, he goes through the psychology really well. He talks about the psychology. The great thing about it is, is he talks about how to use that in our everyday life to kind of gamify what we are doing in our life and how we want to make to accomplish uh, good things, right. To accomplish good things, to, yeah. to do something effective with it. And um, so I think that's a, that's a good thing to kind of take, uh, you know, to know that this is going on, but it's also advancing psychology in a really interesting way that we can use for a good cause.
0: Mm. Yeah. I, I recall like there are some games that aren't as well designed. And the one I played recently where, and, and in fact, I've played several like this, where it's, it's this sort of variable reward system but there's no real game mechanic other than click the button like there's no skill involved in advancement right. <laughs> it's just ratting them you know at the little lever pushing the lever and if i just push the lever enough it's going to reward me but that those ones i suppose for for a more immature brain or less developed brain that that's might be enough to keep dragging somebody in but as an adult i'm like this is stupid i'm not i'm not enjoying this i'm just right. i'm farming this you know yeah farmville <laughs> yeah right well farmville was a was a sort of a lot of those those games uh, early uh, facebook games had elements of that in it farmville was an early version of this sort of thing and again well i mean that's maybe something we talk about it, is is this sort of game inherently bad is it immoral should should we should the, should we not have this sort of system uh or or is it you know, let the free market decide, uh, but we've got to take responsibility for ourselves what What do you think about the freemium uh, game model versus the pay to play?
2: That's a hard one because uh, <laughs> I can see that there are going to be other situations in life that children need to know what to do with frustration levels and that type of thing and how to to manage their time and all of these expectations, and so you want to develop that. On the other hand, it hardly seems fair for the the amount of trickery that goes on with the periodic reinforcement and the unpredictable nature of it. That's what we're looking for is something that's not predictable. Mm -hmm. And one of the articles was saying a lot of this is built around that apparent unpredictability of the game, Mm -hmm. that you you don't know exactly what's going to happen. So you just keep going. Right. And it does seem unfair that that's done. and. I don't know. I know Britain even was one of the articles I was reading was saying that they were investigating this to even two years ago, trying to look to see, are there some laws we need to pass? And I'm not much on law passing like that. But what do we do with this? Right. It's like it's like gambling. It's it. Do you outlaw it or do you say let's manage it?
0: Right. Do we say 21 and older like we do with a lot of these things that are like gambling is 21 and older where it's legal. You still have, you have to be, is it, some places it's 18, some places it's 21, I guess. But you know, where it's legal, we require that you have the maturity of an adult. Right. Generally speaking. Well, in fact,
2: one of, one of the things that uh, was suggested in one of the articles I was reading was a rating system you right. know, for the game to say uh, not just violence, but other things that might make it, of a certain age and not for younger age that's a possibility
1: right and even even with the uh, um even with a really good model uh a game like a subscription-based game um i think there's there's a danger in it because uh you have two things going on here one with the fortnite it's it's not just a game that you're playing by yourself and right. so I think that there's you're you're playing with other people, so there's constantly a, a challenge to be with and to beat other people, and that's it's very much different than a slot machine, and and that's why I think I think a lot of people don't want to compare it to gambling, but it's a lot like a blackjack table, yes, where yeah you, know, you have a group of people that you're playing, and you always just kind of want to outperform the other guy, yeah. but the house always wins, and 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 that's what that's what these kids aren't learning. Appropriately, is the house always wins, right? So, Epic Games, which actually came away with three billion dollars in profits last year, that's what it was. So, uh, wow, three billion dollars in profits last year, not entirely from Fortnite, but mostly from Fortnite. Um, You know, the house wins. Like the kids are having fun, that's great, but you do have people that are ending up in this addictive pattern very early in life, and it's very hard to to change that. And it's, it's very likely that that's going to either persist in that particular state or change into something else. Um, but then also, I mean, the company's going to make money off of it. And they're going to keep making money until they need to make a new game because Fortnite's too old to be interesting anymore.
0: Right. And to, and to be clear, the business model itself is not necessarily what's causing kids to be addicted. I mean, it's the, the, right. the way the game is designed, but the, the game is designed to feed the business model. If the, if it were a, a pay to pay play, they could still m- make it addictive in order mm-hmm. to keep people playing it so that they can encourage us to buy it. So uh, I, I, I'm aware of that. So I want to kind of shift a little bit to um, something, feedback we got from a listener who had something on a similar note. And she says, smartphones and kids, the topic is uh, smartphones and kids, especially ADHD and Asperger kids. She says, we have a 14-year-old ADHD son with traits of Asperger's. And we had to get him a phone for marching band you know, because he's, you know, he, he they need to be in touch with them. He needs to call them for rides. That's sort one of thing I gather. They use an app that everyone had to have. Oh, OK. So they, the, the marching band uses an app probably to organize the band. He's absolutely glued to his phone all day. And when we try to take his phone away, he gets almost violent to the point where the only option we really have is to lock him out of the Wi-Fi and shut down his data from the provider's site. Anyway, uh, she says, if if anyone else has similar issues, maybe you can include this in the show. So. I think this is related. It's this addiction to the tech, uh, and and why this is happening, especially for kids, again, who all who have already certain pre-existing um, conditions, conditions, yeah. some predilections toward uh, certain behaviors, repetitive behaviors, or obsessive behaviors, uh, and and, it, and it's a real danger. And we, you know, the the manufacturers are giving us tools. Apple now has screen time and other tools where parents can limit the amount of time. Uh, in the in, the, in the, the source of things that the kids can do on their iPhones. I know uh, Google has got something like that, too. But it's still it's still kind of disturbing. Yeah. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, and one of the things that I had seen as a suggestion is at a certain age, you don't introduce necessarily smartphones to children. You enter you give them a flip phone that they can use for that vital communication. But you said the team had an app. Right. That they needed to use. Yeah. And so that kind of killed that. So
0: one of the things I, I'm running into as a parent of kids in this age group just a little younger than this 14 year old is how often people assume your kid has a smartphone uh, right. at, a, at a very early age, um, even in Scouts. It's not so bad in Scouts, uh, but I see the other kids. They look at my my boys and they're like, oh, you don't have a phone. You know, they have they have phones already at, at 10 and 12 years old. And and my kids don't have phones uh, that, as As much of a tech head I as I am. And maybe because I am, I, I, I they're not. <laughs> it's, that, it's
1: because because of how much of a tech head you are. <laughs> you yeah, I, know, think so. I know better. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, so it, it is difficult. Uh, so uh, the the, ba- the marching band itself is part of the problem for, for this case. I'm not sure I have you know, any solutions. If, if there are parents out there who have ex- encountered this and had some tips, I would love to hear from you what you did that was successful. Uh, mm-hmm. That might be good tips.
1: Definitely. Um, I, I'll say for, for my end, um, I have a 13 year old who just got her first email um, and we set it up with Google and we set it up in the way that it's a parent child account. So she's, right. she is my child on the account so I can log into it. I see any updates if she logs in from a new device anywhere, I get a, a notification from it. Um, so there's that, that's a really good option. Uh, you know, if you have a 13 year old and, and that's the way you want to play that. And then I was really impressed because then my 11 year old going to scouts uh, needed an email address uh, mm-hmm. to be able to receive uh, emails about his about his events that were coming up. And the, the, I talked to the scout master a bit about it. and He said, well, I would really prefer that it be his email because it, he needs to be responsible for checking up on it. And so I reluctantly agreed to get him an email address. But I was super impressed when I went to Google to sign up the same way. I have now a, an 11 year old's account and it really does function as an 11 year olds oh, yeah. account. Oh, so, that's I, good. you know, he has to log in. But then I also have to log in. You have to prove it to be it. able to, to, to prove that it's him logging in and to yeah. make sure that I know that he oh, is see- logging in.
2: So you're a second factor authentication. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah, that's, that's pretty much what it is. Wow. I'm, the, I'm the 2FA right there. And, uh, and, it, and it's great. I love that. I was not expecting that level of depth from them. But, you know, honestly, they're trying to cover themselves because, you know, there's, there's a, sure. a, a rule about the, the minimum age of having an email right. address. But I was really surprised at the granularity between a 13-year-old and an 11-year-old. Uh, I've run Google, it. In- Google's there.
0: I've run into that myself. So my 12 year old, we have got her a Chromebook and we, I said, I think I was my pick of the week a few, a uh, few weeks ago. Um, I set her up on the Google family link with an email and account and <clears throat> excuse me. And she, she wants to email something to grandma and I had to approve the, who the uh, recipient was. And, but, but we want to install apps on her device. And I can't, I just can't find a way to do it. Right. And it, it is a little bit, Limiting, and I'm I'm afraid of people going beyond the system to try to get it to work. So it, it, I'm a little I'm a I wish it worked a little smoother. But it, I'm glad they're doing something, and I think part of it is a reaction to the fact that kids are being given these devices and expected to have this sort of communication at a younger and younger age. I'm a little mm-hmm. surprised that the scoutmaster insisted on your son having his own. I'm just assuming your son, uh, but having his own email address because usually. That's that's frowned upon because they don't and, want adults having one to one contact with kids.
1: Right, and that's all of the emails that come in are um, they're CC group group emails. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a group system. Oh, good. In. Okay, yeah,
0: so, I, yeah. I would I I I figured the scouting is re- actually really pretty good about explaining how all that's supposed to work. So that's good. Right. Yeah. So we had another uh, link. Uh, it was there's this website uh, westartnow.org, dot um, which kind of talks about. Helping parents through a lot of these issues and some of it's better than others, but there was this one story that was on it that really struck me. And it comes from the, from I think an, an issue with technology that girls tend to deal with more than boys do. Boys are more about obsessing about the games. Girls have another more relational issue, which, you know, is, is, is developmental. Uh, where when girls get on these social media apps, or, or even on texting, they begin to become so attached to one another that they, they have to be available for each other on a constant basis. And this one story talked about how, uh, parents found their, their, uh, 16 year old daughter using her phone at all hours of the day and night. And so they, they told her, okay, the rule is no phone in your bedroom at bedtime. And she just couldn't deal with it. And she would, She got angry. She cried. She would start sneaking the phone in. Well, they found out that was that she said, um, that uh, she had to had to stay up and be available at all times in case her friend needed her because her friend was ideating suicidal thoughts, and and so they, of course, they stopped and they talked to her about, okay, if your friend is ideating suicidal thoughts, this isn't on you. We need to get some adults in her life involved, and, and they got her some support. But but then they they kind of talked about just in general how these girls they feel that they feel the social pressure to be available to their friends on a constant basis, and if they don't respond immediately to texts or it is interpreted in such in a certain way uh and and it's another kind of tech addiction uh, how uh, you know any thoughts on tips or anything like that when we want to help parents uh, deal with it I mean my mine, mine is is to is if you can nip it in the bud before you get there <laughs> just don't let them you know from the beginning if you haven't yet given them a phone i think it's pat said maybe get when they have a phone get them a phone that can't do the smart texting stuff or start from the beginning have this uh, contract uh, this is when the phone is on the charger this is where the charger is this is when you're allowed to use the phone um and then maybe from the beginning kind of talk to them about the the problems that can creep up when you When you do make yourself available on a constant basis and all that sort of stuff. Any Mm -hmm. other thoughts on that?
2: Well, one of the things that the parents in that article mentioned, which I thought was really good, was that they allowed her to blame them to say, Mm -hmm. "Okay, the phone is not usable after seven o'clock at night. And I'm sorry, there's no there's no uh, exceptions. Blame us. We're the bad guys. And it makes you look fine.
0: My parents You're are not lying. responsible. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, not, well it, it's, they, they said that's their right. rule. So she's not responsible yeah. for that rule.
1: Right. It's the emoji, high roll emoji. Uh, Parents will let me get on after seven.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. You understand. Yeah. Well, and yeah, that's that. I thought that was very reasonable. That's and, a good one. You know, way back when when we first got computers in the house, oh, I saw this problem occurring then with computers mm-hmm. that parents would put them in the child's bedroom. Oh, yeah. We always have them in the open area. And it was everybody in, the, you know, maybe phones should be the same way. They are only usable out in the open areas. And at a certain time, they go off. And uh, yeah. that's, that's, you know, it just get that started before it ever becomes a problem. It's like putting a child in a seatbelt from the very beginning. Yeah. You don't have this problem then.
1: Well, and you also, I think I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something unpopular. You have to model the right behavior. Oh, know? yeah, true. And that, that's a big issue with us that, that you know, our generation is coming into uh, this is our adolescence with these devices and we're trying to learn how to do it. And I know I'm just as guilty of it as anybody else. But, you know, my kids are talking to me and I pull out my phone because I just got a message that I had been waiting for. And my kids are sidelined for me to take care of this rock that I had in my pocket and um, that's behavior that that you're modeling to your kid and that your kid then feels, oh, well, I'm responsible to all of the things that are going on on my phone more than, you know, the people yeah. that are right here beside me or more than even me myself. So that's
0: true. Yeah, there there are I mean, if, you may have to do cheesy things like the basket in the middle of the table that all the phones go into at the beginning right. of dinner or I mean, that that could seem cheesy, but, you know, it works, It it, it could work. Uh, certainly vacations, you know, uh, maybe I don't know what the, the coping mechanism is, you know, buy cameras, digital cameras. There's still a you can still mm-hmm. buy digital cameras and that's what you take pictures with. Otherwise, the phone is not available. <laughs> the phone right. maybe even stays maybe home. an
2: hour at night right. you know, or, or, you know, that type of thing right. to, to catch up with somebody. But it's it's away the rest of the
0: time. Right. Know? Those sorts of things. I think those are those are good tips. So if if uh, if anyone listening, they have anything that's worked for them, successful strategies, uh, ideas, or, or or ways that they can cope, uh, we'd love to hear them. Uh, so if you could send us an email to technology at sqpn.com or to uh, tweet us at sqpn, or go to our Facebook page, facebook.com dot slash starquest media, and find the link to the to the show there, and you know any of those places, send us some feedback on what you think are some. Good tips for how to deal with these things. Uh, we we would love to hear that. So uh, I'd like to move on to our second segment today. Uh, this is a, a bit of a fun little story. Uh, it turns out that Burger King is trying to develop a, uh, a a meatless burger, the the Impossible Whopper they call it, that is tastes, smells, chews just like a real burger, the indistinguishable. Even from the experts, they 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 tested it on the people who work for Burger King and they couldn't tell the difference. Uh, so uh, what do you think about this? So uh, would you just from the beginning and they're testing it in St. Louis uh, area, 56 restaurants. So I haven't been able to, to try it yet. Uh, none of us are live in that area. But would you eat it if it were available? Pat, how about you? Would you would you eat a, a an Impossible Whopper? It wouldn't be my first choice, but, you know, for curiosity, I would
2: try it. (laughs) But, uh, you know, if I thought that it was more healthy and tasted the same, why not? But – I don't know. It just sounds a little, <laughs> little squirrely. <laughs> okay,
1: so so we're, we're assuming that there already was meat in the burger, right? And not that this is indistinguishable because it's exactly the same thing. <laughs> well, <laughs> right, right. No, this is
2: made with. Uh, I'm trying to remember what they said that it was made with, but it's all plant. It's all plant. Yeah, no, no meat in there at yeah. all. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I I I think um, I I read Super Size Me. Uh, a few years back. And yep. if you haven't read that, or not, not Super Size Me, I'm sorry, Fast Food Nation was the book. Right. So the, the, the video sort of version of this was Super Size Me. But fast Food Nation is an incredible read. Uh, and it's all about how fast food is made. And uh, probably my favorite bit is he goes to the flavor factory for McDonald's mm-hmm. and he's walked through the whole thing and the scientists are like, nobody really knows. Nobody can know what all of these things are. But the scientists who really work on this stuff like took him to this downstairs room and they gave him a vial and said, try this. And he's like, what is it? And the, the scientist said, if I did my job right, I shouldn't have to tell you. And then he drank the vial and he said he tasted everything down to the sesame seeds on a Big Mac. Yes. And wow. so if, if you're under any disillusion that uh, <laughs> you are eating food that is not so heavily processed already. Right. Um, <laughs> it's mostly corn to begin with, right? <laughs> right. That's a, I, I think that this is really this is really just this is just them admitting finally that this is the way <laughs> that things are going. Uh, but no, I, I would I really wouldn't have a problem with it. Honestly, I um, right. I, I there's there's so much that goes into food production. And I would really. I'm am, I'm am a big advocate against uh the, the agribusiness model of having a cow in a box for its whole life. Right. And then it eventually becomes a hamburger. So if we could do something to move away from that in an in an ethical and in also an economical way, I would really think that's a great thing.
0: My my concern is is because we because from a plant agricultural point of view, our our most of our agriculture in this country is corn. We grow it to feed mm-hmm. yeah. to animals, but also to process into Nearly everything else you eat, and I'm very hyper aware of corn products because my daughter has a corn allergy, and it's in mm. everything. Uh, so uh, my my concern would be is if we just substitute cow for corn, and, right? And right. we Lucy to, still
2: can't eat it, right?
0: Well, and we also we <laughs> we have we we have even more of a corn monoculture where if, if something ever came along and wiped out the corn crop, we'd be in big we'd trouble in a lot as of trouble. yeah, yeah. And also that it. It, because you're only ever planting one thing in all the fields it means the fields get denuded of all of the uh the, the nutrients for from the corn so you have to keep adding it back in through artificial fertilization michael Pollan's book um oh what was the one it was it was i think it was the first book uh omnivore's dilemma was it was a good eye opener for me on that one that 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 was also a good book you, you know and speaking of the flavor factory America's Test Kitchen has a podcast called Proof, and they did a two-part episode, uh, last fall, I think it was, on, they were, they went from the, uh, the jelly belly, uh, uh, jelly beans. They had, they have this line of them where they have like the weird flavor ones, like old socks and stuff. And so, like, how do they make them taste like these things? And so they explored the whole industry. There's this is a giant industry of flavor makers. And the whole that whole thing where they can make in a in a in a lab using just chemicals make anything taste like anything. So this burger may be a bunch of cardboard that has these flavors sprinkled on top. We don't know. I mean, in fact, it, it occurs to me that the the big challenge in this was making the texture right and something that you could flame broil uh, and it survive. Uh, so well, and
2: and there is a concern if it is all chemical based. What reactions will these chemicals have on a population that already has a lot of allergies and food sensitivities
0: right uh
2: and you don't know what it is, and that's the problem
0: right yeah right so then the then there's the big question which is if does a meatless burger that's indistinguishable from the real thing violate the Friday fast? This is the Catholic <laughs> question,
1: oh man, that's a phenomenal question. <laughs> What do you think? This this Well, it. I don't know. We used to make uh curry carrot walnut burgers for uh, Fridays during Lent and that was, it was a burger but it was all, you know, but it, it didn't taste vegetable. like a burger, was it? Did it? I uh, know, it didn't taste like a burger. It yes. was great. It <laughs> tased, tasted wonderful, but it yeah. tasted nothing like a burger. Right? Uh, so yeah, I don't know. That's a that's a uh, are you really giving anything up at that point, right?
2: <laughs> well, and Interestingly enough, in in reading over this, uh, you know what we were going to be talking about. I found an article by a, a vegan yep. who was talking about what do you vegans do for Lenten fast? And oh. they talked about well, if you're a, a vegetarian, then you might say for Lent don't do eggs, do the Orthodox fast. Right. You know, don't use oils, don't use whatever. Make it about the meaning of. Changing your lifestyle, not necessarily punishment, but changing it so that you're aware of right. what's going mm-hmm. on and I saw so in that spirit it would it would violate the lenten fast for me yeah because it, it you're not really changing what you're doing and we need to change our habits
0: that's how it came out to me you need to be aware that you're giving that you're giving something up and you're giving it up for a reason, but you have to be you have to feel it it's it's got there's got to be if well, the, right. in the same way that if you're eating lobster on Fridays in Lent, you're you're not really observing the fast very <laughs> it's much. Not you same you it's tuna something, fish. <laughs> something has been lost in translation there, right? Right, right.
1: Uh, well, yeah. and t- talking about this too uh, on the on the topic of fasts and creative fasts, um, uh, one of my priests friends he is shaving his beard for Lent. That was Ooh. his. That's his. uh Ooh, thing. That's He's Shaving every morning, waking up and shaving. And uh, he told the congregation this. He started it off, and uh, a couple of days into Lent, he had one of the uh, parishioners walk up to him and say, uh, "Father, I was inspired by your uh, alternate, and I have made my own. I used to wear a nice polo to work every day, but instead, I am ironing myself a button-down shirt every morning before I head out to work." So, wow, you know, there's yeah, some, just some changing creativity to changing. it. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: yeah no, we're no longer obligated to observe the uh, the, the the meatless abstinence on Fridays throughout the year uh, outside of Lent. But, uh, you know, we're, we're, the church does ask us to make a, a sacrifice, nevertheless. And so uh, maybe some of these things are ways that we can make sacrifice. And frank, frankly, eating a meatless burger might be that sacrifice for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wrong <laughs> it. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I am interested in this. When it comes available in our area, I may try one uh I'm not a huge fan of the whopper to begin with, so uh, you know the, the, it it comes in at a step lower to begin with uh, every vegetarian burger I've ever eaten has been more like a hockey puck than a burger so i'm i am I'm very skeptical that it would be something I would try more than once so we'll we'll see we'll we'll have to see what it's like and and if again, if any of your listeners have tried it, we'd love to hear from you let us know what you thought of it uh and if you're in the St Louis area you happen to be lucky enough to try it so Great. So let's move on to our third segment, which is our picks of the week. And uh, I want to go to Pat. I'll let you choose first. What is your pick of the week, Pat?
2: Well, I do a lot of visits to homes in which people are web browsing and they have all of these ads popping up and all of these things that they accidentally click on. And so my pick of the week is the ad blocker that I choose. And it's called Adblock Plus. free, works on all browsers, on all platforms. Uh, I've tried it on Firefox, on Linux, and as well as Mac and PCs, uh, Edge, Chrome, all of them, at least all the ones I've tried. It's very simple. You go to adblockplus.org, and when you go there in a browser, it offers you a button just to put it in that browser. And at that point, you see a little stop sign, a red stop sign up in the top. And, as you go to each website, it shows you a count of all the ads that's blocked. If you decide that you want to uh see the ads on a particular website, all you have to do is reach up and punch on the button for you know on that stop sign, and then it gives you a chance to turn it off and it turns it off for just that site so that you don't have to keep turning on and off the ad brow ad blocker depending upon where you're going to it remembers that you've turned it off for that website. And so it's a very simple, easy to install. It's very easy to to say, I want to allow my bank to have pop-ups that aren't really ads, but they look like an ad. Uh, and uh, it gives you nice stats to, so you can see what it, what you're gaining. And it speeds up your web browsing as well as blocks a lot of the malicious ads that get put into your browser as hijackers. Hmm. And I found my clients that have the ad blocker, they don't have the hijackers that I see on other other
0: machines. Uh, a lot of times with uh, the ad blockers, if you go to um, certain websites like uh, a newspaper website, they'll say, oh, the pop-up of a big thing says, you can't read this unless you turn off your ad blocker. So that's – you just whitelist that site, they have an ability right. in the button. You click the button you say uh you just this. click
2: the button, turn it off, and it remembers it. Yeah. So those yeah.
0: aren't the sites you usually worry about. There are there are a couple of there are a couple of new sites I don't go to because they're really bad <laughs> about it. But uh but but uh, that's um that's a good pick. I, I, I heartily uh recommend Adblock plus myself. I,
2: and uh, when it, when a website has more than thirty five to forty ads, I've decided it's not worth going back to.
0: <laughs> mm, yeah, gosh. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, great, that's a good pick, uh,
1: Thomas. You have one. Yeah. Um. So, tagging up on my last, my last was the, the the affordable home uh 3D printer. Uh. So I decided that I would go with uh, the thing you can actually get things to 3D print from, uh, which is a website called Thingiverse. Uh, I think I mentioned it last time, but just to kind of follow up with it a little more. Uh, it's a, an open source uh, sort of a, a group for, of people that are 3D modelers that are sharing things that they've made that you can then go 3D print. And uh, the best part about it is that a majority of them are 3D printers as well as 3D modelers. So you're not going to get a, a file that's modeled well, but doesn't actually print well. Uh, Most of the time I I will add the caveat there that sometimes you will get one that you'll go to put put it on your printer and uh, it looks terrible or it just does not work. Right. Um, I had that issue recently. I did, I did some, uh, some mini figs for dungeon scouts and I printed them all up. I ended up printing 40 of them and the, Hassle of trying to pull away the supports on some of them and breaking as many feet and swords as I did, uh, did was terrible. Uh, <laughs> uh, so nice. you'll, you'll, if you do it, you'll quickly find out which artists you like and you like the looks of their their models. But uh, it's great. There's an app for it as well. So if you wanted to download the app and just search through some things on your phone uh, when you have a couple minutes of downtime, you can. Um, everything's indexed really well. Uh, you can look at the 3D model too and and kind of zoom around it to see all the different sides of it. Uh, and it's, it's a great community. So if you, if you don't know anything about 3d printing and you want to go ask that the people will normally respond. The artists will respond with, uh, what the best settings might be for your printer, uh, or for a printer that you know, you're going to be using.
0: Ooh, this is cool. There's a, there's a holder that snaps around your Apple watch to put your AirPods in.
1: There you go. See, oh, right there. Man,
0: this is dangerous. I may, <laughs> <laughs> I may have found something I need to get. I don't need another gadget. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very cool. That's a good one. Thank you. Uh, so, and then my pick is going to be a little uh a little utility for Max called AirBuddy. And if you have air speaking of AirPods, if you have AirPods, and there are new AirPods available, so you might be getting some. Uh, but you want to use it if you if you use it with your uh your iPhone or your iPad, it has that really nifty pairing thing where you, you flip open the lid, uh you hold it next to the phone or the iPad, you flip open the lid. And it shows up on screen and it says, you're now connected and this is your battery life. And it's really the best Bluetooth pairing experience I've ever had. Uh, but if you want to use it with your Mac, it was, it was the, the old clunky way going in the Bluetooth menu and that sort of thing. Well, Airbuddy, uh, is a little app that runs in your menu bar and you, all you do is you hold your, uh, AirPods up next to your Mac and you flip the lid and then you'll see the same little, it looks just like the Apple uh, uh, graphic, pops up on the screen, and then it, it gives you the button you want to connect. You just click connect, and you're now connected. You can use your Air, your uh, AirPods with your Mac. So really a, an elegant little piece of software. It's 5 bucks from uh, uh, gumroad.com, I guess, is, is where it is. So um, he does warn, uh, just looking at this site now, he does warn that the new AirPods, the second-generation ones, May not work properly with AirBuddy just yet, but he's he's working on uh, an update to to make sure that it, it does. It could, but it, it's not guaranteed that it will work properly. So, uh, but I recommend that that little piece of software. So cool, uh, I think, awesome. I think that's it for for our uh, our three segments the, this week. Before we sign off, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the Secrets of Technology. And today, we want to thank by name Paul L, Terry M, Yvonne R. Dennis S. and Todd H., through their generous donations at sqpn.com give. They make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Technology in all the shows we do at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com give. So what did you think of our discussions to, this time? If you have any feedback you want to give, you could go to sqpn.com technology, like I said before, or the SQPN Facebook page, Leave us some feedback there or send an email to technology at sqpn.com. Please remember, if you can, to like the episodes on Facebook, to retweet them on Twitter, where we're at sqpn again. uh, Leave comments. All those things help uh, the engagement numbers. and They get the algorithms going to say, hey, people like this. We should be showing this to more people. And that helps us grow the audience. Also, if you have not yet done so, please subscribe to the show so that you get every episode as soon as it's available they usually come out Thursday afternoon and uh, you can subscribe in iTunes Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn your favorite podcast app or on YouTube where you should hit the bell to get notifications. Uh, If you can write a review in iTunes, we're a brand new show every five star review (laughs) helps us uh, again, get that algorithm juiced up and showing us to more people and uh, above all, sharing the podcast with your friends we don't grow unless you you help us to get the word out. That's the only way we can do it. We're not a we're not a for profit organization. We're a nonprofit, and we rely on your generosity, uh, both of time and financial support, to do what we do. So uh, we greatly appreciate that. So until next time, Pat, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Thank you for having me, Thomas and Herho. Thank you as well. Thanks for having me. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest.